Hey, we are in a series uh, through Exodus, and we're studying uh, uh, the Exodus in light of how Jesus rescues us and how Jesus saves us, because the Exodus is really the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. It points forward to how Jesus rescues us, how God saves his people in Exodus is the same pattern by which Jesus saves us. And last week we saw that in the first step towards that redemption in uh, Moses going into Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, something happened. Do you remember what it was? Pharaoh retaliated. And he retaliated by uh, putting greater affliction and greater burdens on the people who uh, God desired to free and to redeem and that Moses was sent to help redeem. And it's a pattern that happens in our own lives too. Have you ever noticed that? Like if you start to make some steps forward in uh, either towards Christ or in your sanctification or towards redemption, or you've seen someone else in their life and then all of a sudden just boom, out of nowhere, something happens and you're like, where did that come from? And like they take a couple steps forward, but then they get blown back and something, you're like, I thought they're, they're trying to get their life together, Jesus. They're trying to turn to you. I'm trying to turn to you. Why did this hard thing have to happen? Oh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's the pattern of redemption where there's an enemy who doesn't want to see God receive glory, doesn't want to see you come to trust Jesus. And so when you take that step forward towards him, guess what? There's another punch coming back at you. And we saw that last Sunday and you're gonna see this give and take all the way through until finally, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna see where God uh, frees his people. But that's only the beginning because then they have a lifetime to live that out after they're finally free. So today we're in Exodus chapter six. We're gonna start in verse eight or 28, excuse me. Um, I'm skipping over some verses here because it's basically a, a long genealogy of names. And what it's there for is to establish both Moses and Aaron's uh, lineage, their kind of family history and their authority to, to be doing this for the Lord. Um, and so rather than dive into the lineage, we're just gonna go ahead and continue with the narrative of the story. And Moses has been called and sent by God to rescue his people. But Moses had a lot of doubts maybe like you and I do, or at least maybe like I do, <laughs> maybe not you, about how God has sent you or how he's called you and what he's sent you to do. And uh, he, he expresses those doubts and, and eventually God says, okay, fine, you have a brother named Aaron. He can speak well, I'm gonna bring him. He's gonna be the mouthpiece and the two of you are going to go together and he'll speak for you. And so they've gone into Pharaoh and the first time was a disaster because instead of uh, Pharaoh just relenting and letting all the people go, he, he made their lives even harder. And now everybody's uh, upset with God and they're upset with Moses and with Aaron. And in verse 28 of chapter six, it says uh, on the day, I'm just gonna read the whole text for this morning here. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. So I think this is a recap a little bit of the call because we just had this genealogy, a recap of what Moses is sent to do. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell, tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart 
And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord has said. Let me pray. And we're gonna try to unpack that text together. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you do rescue us. That um, ultimately you are stronger, that ultimately you do win the battle. And even when we... Uh, attempt to follow you and we're faced with adversity and affliction and oppression. Jesus, that as we continue to trust you, even in the face of hardship, you win in the end and we can trust you. You've been good in the past. You'll be good today. You'll be incredibly good in the future. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. I pray that you would come uh, teach me even as I teach, speak through me as I preach and that you might change us to be more like Jesus. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want you to see here this morning is that we, you and I, we represent Jesus to other people. Did you know that? We represent Jesus to other people. And Moses, in this case, he goes to Pharaoh and he represents God to Pharaoh, but, uh, but look at Moses. I mean, look at chapter six, verse 28. It says on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, again, I think this is a recap of some of the things that had happened. The Lord said to Moses, I'm the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. In other words, Pharaoh, you're gonna go, you're gonna be my representative before Pharaoh. You're gonna speak for me to the king of Egypt. And Moses, he says to the Lord, behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Earlier, Pharaoh, Moses had just talked about the fact that he stuttered, you know, he, he couldn't talk eloquently and nobody's gonna listen to him talk. And I always just think for a guy who says he couldn't talk, Moses had a lot to say about not wanting to talk. Doesn't he? That seems to be like his go-to excuse you know, uh, Lord, I, I can't speak. I can't, I can't talk. I, I wonder, what's your go-to excuse? See, we've been sent, just like Moses was sent to Pharaoh, we've been sent to our workplaces, to our families, to our church, to our homes, all those things. Uh, but a lot of times, like Moses, we go, yeah, God, but, uh, but, but, but. What comes after the but for you? 
For Moses, it was, I can't talk. Uh, He'll never listen. That that was his go-to excuse. Do you have a go-to excuse? I think we all probably have a few, don't we? Sometimes it's I'm inadequate. Sometimes it's the same as Moses. I can't speak. I don't know what to say. Nobody's going to really listen to me. Um, Fill in the blank. What's your go-to excuse? Most of us have them. I wrote a few down. I'm not qualified. Um, My past keeps me from being credible. What I did yesterday keeps me from being credible. If I do that or say that, I'll, I'll lose that friend and they won't believe me. Lord, I, I, I can't follow you. I can't give this month. It's just, everything's too tight. Maybe, maybe next month, maybe next year. I don't, I don't have time. Have you seen my calendar, Lord? Like, I don't know where I'm going to fit that in. I, I don't have time to go do that this week. Uh, maybe after things open up in the summer, I don't know. And it, Lord, that'd just be too risky. It, it's too painful. I can't risk that. What's your go-to excuse? I bet you have one popping up in your mind right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have excuses, but, and we come up for them. We come up with them, excuse me, for, for not doing what God calls us to do. And we tend to use the same ones over and over. For some Christians, it takes them years to get past their tired old excuses of, of not going, of not witnessing, of not giving, of not serving. There's always an excuse. And maybe next time, maybe tomorrow, but guess what? Tomorrow, the same excuse pops up again, doesn't it? Have you had that experience? I have. Moses' go-to was, I can't speak. But what's curious here, if you look at the text, God wasn't asking Moses to volunteer for this job. He didn't say, Moses, would you like to go to Pharaoh? I'm wondering, I'm calling for volunteers. I just, I'd like somebody to go speak to Pharaoh. What's he say? No, he says, Moses, you are going to Pharaoh. You will be my representative. You will speak for me before him. It wasn't a volunteer position. It was a command. And, and Moses uh, is going to be God to Pharaoh. Look at chapter seven, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, if you could see this in Hebrew, the word like isn't there. It's um, Moses I will make you God to Pharaoh. I will make you God to Pharaoh. You're gonna be such a vivid representation of me to him that you will literally, in his mind, you'll be God to him, which was really profound when you think about this because Pharaoh, as the king of Egypt, uh, thought of himself as divine. He thought as a man, he was God. And now uh, this, this Hebrew guy who grew up in Pharaoh's house, grew up maybe alongside him, if it's that Pharaoh, Uh, uh, now he's God to him. And Moses is gonna prove it. Actually, God's gonna prove it through Moses, through all the miraculous signs he does. But but Moses is God to Pharaoh. But have you ever thought of the fact that that to somebody, you're Jesus? Moses is God to Pharaoh, but you and I are Jesus to other people. And, And in many ways, when God sends us, he says, listen, just like he told Moses, I'm gonna make you God to Pharaoh. He says, I'm going to make you like Jesus to them. 
And it might sound kind of cliche, but the reality is like for some people that you interact with, that I interact with, you are literally the only Jesus they're ever gonna see with flesh and bones. Because for them to understand the gospel, they're gonna need to see Jesus in you. They're gonna need to see you represent him and love them the way that he loves them. But what's your excuse for not going? See, God made, Mo, or God made Moses God to Pharaoh. He makes you Jesus to others. You've been sent. Jesus said, as, as the father sent me into the world, I have sent you into the world. We're sent to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with us. And, and beyond that, you're, you're God's ambassador. We're gonna see this text again here in a moment. But in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ and God making his appeal through us. God speaks through you to other people and through me to other people. In fact, like when I'm, when I'm preaching, this is, this is an incredible mystery to me of how uh, one, God is going to use this really messed up guy named Moses to go and, and speak for him. He's gonna represent him and he's gonna communicate for him. Doesn't that just seem crazy? You know what's crazier? That he uses this really messed up guy named Josh to stand up here, at least it is to me, to stand up here and to represent him and to speak his word for him. And somehow, in a way I don't understand, when I proclaim God's words, they're not my words, they're his words. And he uses that. And, and you hear God speak, not Josh speak, I hope, more often than not. Amen? And that's, that's so profound to me. It makes no sense to me. Yet he does the same with you when he sends you to people. Do you know that? You're his ambassadors. You represent him to other people. We saw a few weeks ago that maybe if you have your doubts when Jesus sends you, raise those doubts. He's patient. He's willing to answer them. But man, the sooner you go and obey, the better. The sooner you go and obey, the better. And we see God patiently with Moses here again because he answers him. He says, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, Moses, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now here's the deal. We represent God to others. We represent Jesus to others for better or for worse. You're like, I, I don't know if I do. I mean, I'm, well, if, if you don't go, guess what? If you're a Christian, you still represent Jesus to others. And it's either gonna be for, for better or it's gonna be for worse. It's either you're gonna give a, a picture of Jesus that people are enthralled by and, and run to, or you're gonna give a picture of Jesus that go, people go, yeah, if that's what it's about, I don't want that. Um, we represent God to other people. We represent Jesus to other people. It, it, this has been God's plan since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter one, we read that God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. In other words, he created us male and female to, to reflect him, to represent him in the world. And we're either gonna do that in a way that honors him or we're gonna do it in a way that turns people from him. You represent him either for better or for worse. In other words, your, your conduct matters. Do you just talk the talk or do you actually walk it? Do you actually obey? Or are you a radically different person during the week than you are on Sunday morning? Like, quit poking at me, Josh. Well, 
listen, you, you represent Jesus to other people, either for better or for worse. Is it, which, which one is it? Do you present a Jesus that um, is one who is, is, is powerful yet gracious and loving and kind and accepting? Or do you present a, a Jesus that is indifferent and distant and doesn't care and is probably mad at everyone? It's one or the other, it's for better or for worse. See, Paul, Paul says it like this, that you're either gonna be, and, and by the way, even when you're faithful in doing this, sometimes you're a stench to people and sometimes you're a pleasant aroma to them, even when you do do it really well. He writes this to the Corinthians as well. He says in verse 15 of chapter two, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance, fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Later, he goes on to write uh, in, in verse 20, what we just read earlier, that therefore we're ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. So we implore people on God's behalf, be reconciled to him, trust Jesus. Moses was God to Pharaoh. You're Jesus to those in your influence for better or for worse. And the reality is we all succeed and fail at this to varying degrees, but it doesn't change the fact that you're called and you're sent to represent him if you're a follower of Jesus. But to, to, to see uh, Moses ended up not being really a fragrant aroma to Pharaoh, but a bit of a stench. See, because if we keep reading uh, chapter seven, uh, I'll start again in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all I command you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But verse three, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Do you read that verse and go, okay, hold on a second. What gives here? Uh, Moses is sent to Pharaoh, right? God sends him to Pharaoh and says, speak for me. And he's gonna let everybody go. And Moses is like, I don't wanna go, Lord, because he's not gonna listen to me. And God says, well, go. And by the way, when you go, you're right. He's not gonna listen to you. And then it goes on to say uh, that God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. How does God harden his heart? Doesn't he want, wish that all would repent and come to him in saving faith? Does that cause any angst in you? Well, uh, maybe you'd think of it like this. There, there's a quote of someone that, that says, and I don't know who said it originally, but the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And so by Pharaoh's, by God saying, I, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, I understand that as God saying, listen, uh, the, when he sees me for who I am, he's not going to respond in faith. He's just gonna get more bitter and hard. And my glory, my goodness will actually harden his heart. I think that's a helpful way to understand that. The same sun that melts the wax, that softens some people to the gospel, also hardens the clay and some people turn away and they want nothing to do with it. 
And when you go to some people, you're gonna be a pleasant aroma and to others, you're gonna be a stench that hardens their heart. Pharaoh will not listen to you, God said. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Well, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. God's gonna work in and through Moses and and Moses will be God to Pharaoh. And while God offers grace and a way out to Pharaoh, if he would relent and repent and let the people go, he ultimately rejects it. Listen, if you've been presented with the the gospel, with uh, the way out, the way to be free in Jesus Christ, don't be like Pharaoh. He's an idiot. Trust Jesus. His arms are wide open and he would, he would take you in a heartbeat. But as you go then and represent Jesus, here's why when you're going to people who need Jesus, it's important to represent him well. Uh, and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to touch on it more now. It's, it's important to represent him well and to be sure then that people, if, if their heart is hardened, like Pharaoh's was, it's not hardened because of you, but it's hardened because of the gospel. That, that they're not offended by you, they're offended by Jesus. Like as a church, we say this as like one of our core values, right? Like we have no sacred cows, It's kind of an aspirational one, but that's what we're going for. No sacred cows, right? In other words, we don't want anything to stand in the way of somebody meeting Jesus Christ. Our doctrine, uh, what we believe about the gospel, about the Bible, about the deity of Christ, all those things, that's in a tight hand and we'll swing that fist and we'll fight over that. But uh, the color of the carpet, the style of worship, whatever else, it's in an open hand. It's not sacred. Jesus is, and we'll let that go if it means more people could meet Jesus. Amen? It's a great spot for an amen. Amen? amen. Yeah. And, and, and so listen, but it's the same for you and I individually. Like uh, you need to represent him well. We want to remove every barrier when someone comes in so that they're not offended by, by us, but they're offended by the gospel. And they leave not saying, that was a weird place. They leave saying, that was a hard saying. Who can accept it? What about your life? Do you represent Jesus well? so that they're offended, uh, not by you, but by Jesus. In other words, you know how you do this? You do this with grace and with truth. Not just truth, not just grace, grace and truth. Uh, Here's some instruction from Paul. He writes to Timothy, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Do you like to get into arguments? Jake's nodding his head over here. Jake likes to get into arguments. Jake, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to his parents. Did you catch the last part? But kind to his parents. I'm just teasing. But able to teach patiently. Listen, we can all be quarrelsome. Jake's just the only one with the courage to admit it. But we're not to be that way. We're to be kind to everyone. How about in Ephesians 5? Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, uh, Charlie's about three and a half years old now, and it is frightening sometimes the things that come out of his mouth, any of you who are parents, and you realize, where did he hear that? Oh, he heard that from me. 
he's an imitator of me as a loved little little child, right? That's how we're supposed to imitate the Lord as, as beloved children, to be like him. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Colossians 4 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, but gracious so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Represent Jesus well so that they're offended by Jesus, not by you. And uh, just a little, little bit of a rabbit trail here, but I started reading this book this week called The, the Power of the Other by a guy named Henry Cloud, Christian psychologist. It's about two years old, two and a year and a half, two years old. And uh, he, he, he talks about it. Uh, I'm not all the way through it, but in the beginning, one piece stood out to me in setting up his argument in, in terms of how other people influence and affect you. So in like the community you, you associate with, the friends you have, your work environment, all those things affect you. Uh, but one piece really stood out to me. And in setting up his argument for all of this of how people affect us, he references some recent research by a guy named Daniel Siegel, where he describes this triangle of well-being. I'll summarize it by saying there are three critical factors that change us for the better or for the worse. Your physical body, your brain, nervous system, so that's like the hardware if you're a computer person. Uh, your mind, how you think and process life, that's like the software. But the third biggest piece is relationships. The connections you have with other people. In this computer analogy, you might think of this in terms of the operator or the data input person. The relationships you form, the people you're surrounded with will absolutely affect the way that your computer, for lack of a, for, to carry on with that analogy, runs and whether or not you change for the better or the worse or whether or not you represent Jesus for the better or the worse. I used to tell students all the time, you become like who you hang out with. Have you ever noticed that your performance for better or worse is affected by the people around you? Like in some situations you can do this well in other situations you can't. Too many critics in your life often turn you into a critic or deplete your confidence to the point that you just get depressed. Or, or maybe you've seen the effects of one toxic person on, on everything else. So why this rabbit trail really briefly? Well, here's, here's the point. If you're gonna represent Jesus well, this is a gospel issue. And it's not about you getting it right all the time because you're not. It's not about you never failing because you will. It's about you resting in Jesus and becoming like him. And if you're gonna represent him, well, you need to become like him. And a key, uh, the key piece in this, this piece of you becoming like Jesus and representing him well is your relationship with him, being with him, spending time with him. That relationship changes you over time. If you're never in his word, you're never in prayer, and then you go out and you're like, oh, I'm gonna represent him, it's gonna be awesome. And it always bombs, I can tell you why. You're not changing. You're not becoming like him. You're not spending time with him. You're not letting that relationship change you. But it's not just the relationship with Jesus that matters. It's also the relationship with your church that matters. Hanging out with other believers, being involved in community, 
And I'm preaching to myself here because I struggle with this one. Like, like until you allow other people to, to love you, to care for you, to influence you, you're not going to grow. If you wanna represent him, well, you, you need to be here on a Sunday morning, you need to gather, but then you also need to grow. You need to get connected in relationship, friends. You do. Uh, just to put it bluntly, you need to get your butt to church. You need to get to a 110 group. You need to get connected or you'll never do this well. That's how you're going to change. And what's curious is that, that Moses follows this pattern because Moses grew to be a better and better and better representative of the Lord throughout the rest of the book of Exodus. Did you know, have you noticed that as you've read? And do you know, there's one key piece though that happens over and over with Moses. You see him continually in relationship with the Lord. He's meeting with him on Mount Sinai. He's, he's speaking to him and praying to him about all the people and all the hardship and everything that's happening. And as that relationship grows, guess whose influence grows? Moses. It's the same for us. That relationship, those relationships, plural, are what's going to help you grow and to represent God well. Because you represent Jesus to others. We represent Jesus to others for better or for worse. But look at verse seven here. Maybe back to your go-to excuse. Maybe it's that I'm too old. It's too late. Look at verse seven. Now Moses was, how old was he? 80. 80 years old. And Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Here's a verse that should give you encouragement, especially if you're growing older or if you've ever felt stuck in life or like there's no hope to change. Man, it is never too late. Do you believe that? It's never too late. You have agency. If I'm too old, it's, it's too late to go back and do that again. It is, you can't go back, but you can change today going forward. And in fact, Moses, I think this probably caught him by surprise because Moses was 80 years old here. But did you know Moses, I think probably didn't expect to live past about 80. You're like, how do you know that, Josh? Well, do you know Moses wrote some of the Psalms? And one Psalm in particular is one that I quote, I think at every funeral I've ever uh, had the privilege of leading. And it's uh, Psalm 90, verse 10. Moses wrote this. He said, um, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Moses is like, for the best of the best, they live to about 80. I don't think he expected to live much beyond this. And guess what? He lives for another 40 years serving the Lord. He was only two thirds of the way done. You have no idea what the Lord has in store for you. It is never too late. You have agency. You can change. Better said, Jesus can change you as you trust him and as you follow him. D.L. Moody, he founded the school I went to, Moody Bible Institute. He was kind of the Billy Graham of the last century. And uh, D.L. Moody, a guy, by the way, who had no formal education, but uh, had an incredible impact in the world. He, he, he observed this. He says, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody because he grew up uh, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, right? For 40 years, he thought he was somebody, but then he murders somebody. He, gets, he runs out to the, to the wilderness. Moody says, and for 40 years in the desert, he learned he was nobody. 
And then 40 years he had left showing what God can do with a somebody who found out he was a nobody. Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody, 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody, and 40 years finding out God, what God can do with somebody who realizes they're a nobody. Isn't that great news? So uh, to use that analogy, the sooner you can get out of Pharaoh's court and into the wilderness and trust the Lord and, and listen, just let go of your excuses, the better. He'll use you. It's never too late. You have agency. Uh, I, I, I know a guy who says, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. But that's a good way to live your life. To say, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Maybe that's who you would be. See, um, we represent Jesus to others for better or for worse. So, so trust him. Do your best and leave the results to him. Because ultimately the results of your representation of him, of your witness, it could be a stench, it could be a perfume, but ultimately all that is in the hands of the Lord. And your only rule, my only rule is to go and to obey and to love people and to invite them. And that's what Moses did. Moses and Aaron obeyed everything the Lord told them to do. Moses became a nobody who was trying to tell, tell everybody about somebody. Maybe that's the way we should live our lives. See, look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, uh, he, he tells them to perform these signs. We'll, we'll go through this quickly and, and call it a morning. But when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves, prove who you are by working a miracle, you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. Remember, God had given Moses these three signs to perform to, to uh, authenticate his message as God's representative. One of them was to take a staff and to throw it on the ground and it would become a serpent. And then remember Moses had to like reach out and pick it up by the tail and it became a staff again. And, and so they go in to do that. And he does this sign and Aaron throws his staff down. But then uh, Pharaoh, it says, summoned the wise men and his sorcerers, they came. The magicians, they, the magicians of Egypt also did the same thing by their secret arts. Now, this could have just been simply by the power of the enemy because we do have an enemy who is powerful, but actually, uh, just a random thing here. Uh, I, I saw something uh, in the last week as I was studying where there was evidently a trick in, ancient, uh, in the ancient Near East where you could take a snake, you could squeeze it behind its head really tightly with your thumb, and it would become stiff because it thought somebody was standing on it, so it was holding still until they would leave. And I kind of wonder, you know, Satan is a deceiver. If, if just simply by deception, these guys had a snake and they walk out and they're like, oh, see our staff? And then they throw it down and it becomes a snake. It loosens up and goes again. But then what happens to prove God's authority and Moses and Aaron's authority? Their staff, their serpent actually swallows the other two. Pretty vivid word picture there, right? But here, all, all Moses did was obey. All he did was the best that he could. Aaron, in the same way, he obeyed as best he could. They did what they were told and they left the results to God. Do you think for a moment, once he threw the staff down and then all of a sudden the magicians come out and they do the same thing, they're like, oh, really again, here we go. 
but they left the results to God. And what happens? He proves that he has the greater authority, that he's in control. He's ultimately in control. And it says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Friends, you, you and I, we represent Jesus to others for better or for worse. Let's do it for better. Let's do our best and leave the results to him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray and we're gonna sing and call it a morning. Father, uh, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is uh, the perfect representative of who you are to us. And uh, by your grace, you choose to, to have us be sent than to be your representative to other people, which is hard to understand sometimes, knowing our own faults. It's clear that that was hard for Moses to understand, knowing his own faults, and that his task, um, by comparison, at least to my own, was certainly, in my estimation, greater, yet you look to me and you look to us and you say, no, I, I, I have a plan, I have a purpose, I have a, a mission for you. And Jesus, you promise that as we represent you, you'll be with us. We can trust you, do our best and leave the results to you. Lord, I pray today for anybody who hears my voice that has never trusted you. They've never become a Christian and never been sent. Jesus, I pray today that they would know if they would simply uh, turn from their sin and repent. If that's you, uh, it's not about you cleaning yourself up and then coming to Jesus. It's about you coming to him with all your junk and saying, Jesus, here it is, change me. I believe in you, I trust you, I turn from these things. And, and the text tells us, Bible tells us that if you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. It's a simple act of faith. And I would, I would so strongly encourage you to make that decision today. For the rest of us, Lord, help us to trust you more, represent you well in Jesus' name.